Okay, so today we have former high school basketball prodigy, former number one rookie in the world, top experience dealer, top team builder, more times than I could count, Ironman champion, um, and a bunch of other cool stuff, and someone I've uh, traveled the world with and a, a close friend. So Jacob Flores in the house, what's up? Yes, very grateful to have uh, for to be here, very grateful to have a a little bit of an exaggerated introduction. That's how you know it's going to be a good good podcast episode. <laughs> uh, do you have, are those your vision boards in the background? We're doing this on Zoom, so I can see his like background setup. How many vision boards do you have up there? Um, that's only two. That's like 2020s, 20, 2022, 2021. That picture of MJ I just bought in Medellin. That's pretty hard. And that's then and then there is a vision board from twenty twenty. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Do you so you're you've been doing vision boards the last four years in a row then? Or my years? first my first one was twenty eighteen and I've done one every year since then. Nice. And you you have them all up. Oh dang, so you have like six of them? Um yeah, I have two I have two others in my closet. Okay. Um in the past two twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four, I didn't do a vision board. I did this thing that Yvette um showed me. I've actually I can show you real quick. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I, she, she had. I'll give you screen sharing things. She just, uh, I think she just emailed it to me. It's like a Google Doc kind of thing. It's really cool. So, so it's like it's got my goals, my my intention, but then action steps for each one, and it has pictures that kind of correspond with them. Yeah. So and those then, are the listeners, it's like a Google Doc that's got like his, it looks like pillars almost, right? Like faith family, career, fitness, personal development. And then it's got like action steps and goals underneath it in text and then pictures to the right of it. Yep. And then, yeah, three-year, 10-year, 30-year vision. So basically like my most important be, do's, and haves for like my 30-year, 10-year, and three-year, and then pictures to go with it. So it's kind of like a different way to put a vision board because vision boards I've done for a while. So yeah. just something to do that I've done that from yeah. the vet. That's pretty sweet. We literally ju had just talked about that on our coaching call. So she emailed me hers and I'm like, it's weird though. Cause now I feel like I, or not have to like get to, it's exciting, but it's almost like me and Emma have to do it together. It's like, it can't be like a, all right, I'm going to go make my own vision. <laughs> you know, it's totally different. Sounds crazy, man. I believe it. Dang. <laughs> Um, all right. I want to, so I want to start by going all the way back. Cause I don't think, I mean, obviously people have been here a while now, but I, I don't know how many like younger folks know that you were the number one rookie in the company your first summer up Northern Virginia. Oh, the motherland. <laughs> I love that. And, yeah. And I think for those listening, it was like the wealthiest County in the country and you sold in the suburbs as a rookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit. I want to ask more about like from a training perspective, like for those of us that are training first years or even just thinking, I mean, because you did 3,600 units as a rookie. And for some of the experienced dealers, like that would be a growth jump from their first summer. So like what were a few things you feel like Shane did well with you going into your first summer or that you did from a discipline perspective that and maybe this will be good for us even just thinking with our teams this spring. But yeah, what, what do you think helped you be prepared or was it all just natural talent and ability? You know, I, I did have definitely some ability. I had knocked on doors a little bit before my first summer. I had like, I started selling stuff when I was kind of younger, but, I, you know, nothing can prepare you for the book field. 
but Shane did a good job of just being like adding value to me right away. We talked about working out together and I was like, yeah, I like to work out. He's like, cool. If I go to the gym, I'm going at 6am. And that was always something I'd kind of had a, almost a dream of doing, you know, I used to listen to Eric Thomas before basketball games and the idea of like, you know, beating the sun up and working out. That was like something that seemed like a cool idea. Never really had the guts to do it. So that he selected me that Saturday, that Monday morning, we did that. We did that every single day, Monday through Friday, um, leading up to my first summer. What, what was his accountability with that? Like, so he says, like, if I'm working out, I'm doing it there. And you're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'll, I'll go with you. And then was he texting you like, hey, are you coming with me? Or did you reach out to him? Or was it just like you guys met at the gym? No, we account- just, I mean, I wish I knew. I think we just decided we were going to work out at six in the morning. Like, I think, I don't, I don't know. It was like a mutual agreement. And then literally every single day we were there, the gym opened at six every day we would get there at six. And it was a, a cold winter in Colorado that year. You know, I got selected in February, coldest month. I remember freaking waking up at five 30, having a protein shake. I had to borrow my friend's bike so I could bike to the gym, you know? So even if I didn't do all the other things I did to prepare just that alone, I remember when it was week 11, week 12, when, you know, everybody's running out of gas and I had on my, my mirror, like four degrees on there. It reminded me of like, when I rode my bike to the gym and it was four degrees, I was like, man, I I didn't go to the gym every day that early, that cold, just for nothing, you know? So that, that was, and that was a good internal motivation. Um, so it was adding, so to the original question, what Shane did, I think setting the tone well with that, he was very just on top of his trainings. Like we met at the same time. He was always on time. He was always prepared you know, um, he was leading by example in his life. Well, like when he told me to set six pillar goals, he then showed me his and his was so much more detailed than mine. So yeah, I I think it's nothing special outside of being prepared, leading by example, just like kind of what we teach how to lead first years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that leading by example, not just during the summer, but like year round from the leadership and recruiting aspect. Like I remember Hardo at GLS was saying like, you know, selling, like you can convince a mom you're great for 20 minutes, you know? Um, but when you convince a group of people, they, they see every part of your life, you know? And I remember when I visited Shane, like he had his goals laminated in his shower and like on his, like, he didn't just talk about goal setting and keeping them in front of you and kind of like even you with the vision boards and stuff right now. And so that's a, yeah, I think that that's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. Um, so he did great with that. And I agree. Go ahead. I was just going to say the building evidence. I feel like you, when you make all those correct actions in a row, it like builds evidence that you're going to do well during the summer. Like it builds confidence when you're waking up like that was that when you got hit by the bus were you on the way to the gym biking I was on the way home actually and that that story I I should probably tell that story on here so yeah I was and then you know other things preparation wise like we had 6 a.m sales talk practice in person right I made it to every single one I would get up before sales talk practice study my sales talk beforehand that way it was like reading before class right I would like listen to my sales talk on the way to class so I didn't have to spend extra time you know, so just little things, basically all that stuff definitely gave me confidence that I would do well. Like there was not a doubt in my mind that I was going to go at least hit above average. Um, yeah, because of, because of those things, I didn't do, I don't think I did anything that special, but I did make every single training, go, but going to the gym, I always tell people like 
schedule sales talk and and do things uncomfortable before the summer and that's probably gonna lead to success yeah and yeah you know i did get hit by a car four weeks before i um before sales school so we were yeah another another monday going home from the gym i mean at that point i had been selected for like you know a month and a half close to two months so i was just like these were habits at this point i was jamming i was headphones in you know, hit the crosswalk light. I was just like ready to conquer that day. I had a paper due that night. I just like was locked in and I'm getting across to the second half of the street. And I look to the right and I see a car like coming pretty fast when I'm on my bike. And it, I like, I knew I had like two seconds. I was screwed. I, there was no way around that. So I just like lean up, uh, get hit, hit the windshield. I don't really remember what that felt like. Only thing I really remember was like looking up and seeing like sky, ground, sky, ground. So I'm like, <laughs> I, I wake up like a couple of seconds later and like a bunch of people around me, my shoe is off and I'm like, what the hell? And I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, I got homework to do. I got a paper due. Like I got stuff. This, this, like, this is not good. Um, and all these people are like, no, 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 you got to stay down. So yeah, they, I get into the ambulance and my brother and mom met me in the hospital that day. That was tough. The next day I woke up and I couldn't even lean my head up. My neck hurt so bad. It was like, yeah, I could not lean. So I had a fractured L1 concussion. I was in the hospital for like seven days. Uh, Shane went and saw me the next day. Um, and it's funny because he gets in there. The first thing he does is he laughs because I'm in a neck brace. You know? <laughs> he starts laughing at me. It's like this mother trucker, man. Um, and yeah, I, I, but he told he you know, he had talked to me about this kind of concept, like something's going to try to knock you off your goals. And I told him in the hospital bed, I was like, you know, you told me that something was going to like, you know, try to stop me. But I was like, yeah, I'm not going to let this like stop me from my goals this summer, you know. So um, for everybody that hears Shane's old interviews, that's how the real story went. And come <laughs> to me, I, I was not, you know, in a wheelchair. I was not on crutches. I was in a back brace till the day before we left sales school. It did break off of me because I had gained some weight, but that's the real story. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, yeah, I feel like that's, it's like in your story and Zach Benavides is, so I feel like are like the ones everyone uses about like this, something could happen before the summer that is going to make you want to quit. You might get hit by a bus like this guy or like Jacob or Zach broke his leg for those that don't know and was on crutches for like three weeks. Yeah. I think that's honestly a little more hardcore because I wasn't on crutches selling, you know? Dude. Yeah. I can't, and I think he said he drove stick too. So he had to like use his crutch to like hit the clutch in, <laughs> which is just insane. I could see Zach doing that though. He plays video games while he phones. So I think he could do it. Oh, that's crazy too. Um, okay. Another thing I want to ask you about. So being number one rookie, and I know kind of like, uh, I don't know how many people know, or I guess, you know, people have probably heard, but the four years or so after, I think is like pretty interesting, but you've had, you know, pretty high successes in Southwestern. Then you've also had some, some down, down spirals of not successes or, or failures, to say the least. To both, say the least. both in leadership and, and like selling and personal stuff. So I, I want to ask you like about like, what's your perspective now on how to handle success and how did you like, how did, what was your journey to like get to that spot? What a question, how to handle success and basically like how to stay there and not letting it get to your head. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I feel like we've both watched each other go through it a little bit, like, you know, having success and then it, it's hard not to, uh, 
Yeah. It's hard to keep consistent with that. So like, what's, how's your mindset change with that? Where is it at now? And then, you know, what was your painful journey to get to that point of understanding? Yeah, I think it would be helpful for me to just kind of talk about what was going through my head before having that success when I got there. So my first summer, it was never to be number one, right? I, I wanted to make $20,000, but it really was all about the person I was becoming. Like that was all I cared about. So I, I didn't like when I was doing my best, when I hit 256 units my last Saturday, like it was not about the selling ever. It was totally about finishing strong, the man I was becoming, like surrendering to God. So it really was about the character. So I do believe like in terms of selling, that's what it comes down to. And when you think about, I mean, I, obviously I don't know the exact answer, but your, your three summers in a row of success in sales, or well, I guess one year, not quite as good, but still like being yeah. being pretty solid, right? It's like you always made it about the character, the person you were becoming, surrendering to God. So, you know, and I did a lot of reflecting on my purposes. You know, that second year decreased down to 2,800 units. Nobody came out. Right. Two big lessons there is one, my originally I set a goal to sell 7,200 units. And then Shane was go, was like, dude, I'm going to go sell 20,000. You should go sell 10,000. Like you totally could do it. I was like, yeah, you're right. Why not? Right. So um, definitely a huge lesson learned is like, if you can't statistically show how you're going to hit those numbers. Right. And if you don't have the preparation to match those numbers, you're setting yourself up for a, a downtime. Um, but then the other thing is that I was definitely very self-centered that, that summer. And really the, this next two, three summers after that, I did a lot of reflecting. Like I came back as a student leader because I wanted to be a better leader. I wanted to be a better trainer. I wanted to be a better speaker, right? So common denominators, I made it about me. And hence why I hadn't even had someone successfully complete the summer until that fourth year, they sold like 600 units. So, and then that fifth year, you know, I, I, that was I committed to DSL before that. I, I sat down with the document. I analyzed what were my whys in the past? What were my whys now? And, you know, I decided I got to stop making it about me and I got to start, you know, focusing on other people, their goals, what they want to hit. And, you know, I brought 11 people as a full-time, as a first-time full-timer that year. And I think that's what I attribute that to was I, you know, not the only thing, but I really made it about them. So, but then that, then when we got out to the field, um, I got a little adversity, seven out of those 11 quit, only six out of my 18 first years of my org quit, nobody hit growth that summer, only a few of us hit Sizzler, it was a really, really rough summer, probably the toughest one I've had to this point, so when I got out there, my I was, all right, now let's sell some books, like I was like units focused then, so basically I think one answer to that question is, is like your purpose and your why, and I know we hear that all the time, but I, I think there's no way around it. So having a really strong purpose and why that's bigger than just whatever the the worldly success is, I think is going to be one of the most important things. Yeah. And then I think, you know, when you stay, I mean, commitment would also be a big part of that, right? Like commitment to something bigger to whatever that purpose is. Sorry, did you have a comment on something there? No, I'm just taking a note on that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think commitment to whatever that purpose is would definitely be a big testament because after I got my freaking butt handed to me that 2019 summer, like I was committed, I was locked in still. Uh, and then all four of those people came back and we jumped from 88,000, like 600. Yeah, so I think commitment was a big part of that. You know, having a bigger why um, was all part of that too. So I'd say, you know, having that big purpose, 
as far as getting there goes, but then having your work, I think nothing beats having your work effort match your goals. And we tell first years that all the time, like if your goals, if your effort doesn't match your goals. And I honestly think that is a very underrated thing, not just in this company, but in the world in general, you know, I'm uh, reading Atomic Habits right now by James Clear. Man, it is an amazing book. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. So one good. of my favorite. It's so dang good. And he talks about like, yeah, it's crazy. You know, he talks about gold medalists, right? And he's like, everybody that even gets to the Olympic trials, everybody's goal is to win the gold, but obviously only one person does it. So it's not their goal that matters, but it's like what processes, what habits are they committed to doing? Mm-hmm. So I think it's an underrated thing. It's like you hear so many people talk about a goal of selling 10,000 units or bring in 10 or whatever, but it's like, what what is your schedule, habits, and process are you committed to to doing that? I just think that's very underrated. Yeah, man, I am like, I feel like over the years, whenever there was that boom in selling, I'm so tired of people talking about what they're going to do. Like, I'm so tired of it. Because <laughs> it is like, uh, it, it's like, I feel like most of the people that, do it it's like they're the ones working silently in the night you know and they're doing it when no one's watching not talking about it i think ryan holiday talks about that principle right and ego is the enemy a little bit like the more you talk about it the harder it is to have the desire to actually go do it yeah yep i love that book and you love the concept in general i mean i think that's something you and i have talked about a lot like you know not being ones to talk about the stuff and just yeah being the one that let the action speak for it. Yeah. So that like, is there a reason that you think uh, after your first summer being the number one rookie? Cause like, it sounds like, I mean, you woke up, maybe you were doing that all spring going into your B year too. I know you were saying you were a little you focused, but like, was your effort also not matching your goals? Like, did you, did you kind of like lose sight of the, of the effort it takes to get there or yeah. How would you speak on that? Good question. So, man, it, it was kind of there. I, I just, I wasn't very clear on what it took to bring a five-person team slash what it took to sell 7,200 or 10,000 units, right? Like, you know, I, I wasn't clear on that. I, you know, but as far as the recruiting, my my effort was there, man. Once I decided to come back, I started running <clears throat> group infos. I went to multiple info sessions a week. All spring long, I had five people infoed every single day, every single week. So I, I got a ton, but I just wasn't doing it correctly. So, and mm-hmm. honestly, I attribute it, part of it is like my my skill level for relationship building wasn't that high. Like transactional did come more naturally to me. Like I think selling five, $600 set in you know a little bit did come more naturally, but being, being a leader and as a friend, seeing my friends as like ways to recruit, that I, I just that my skill level wasn't there, you know, mm. where it's my, my third year, I did, I, you know, I was even recruiting as a B in a blazer a lot, like as <laughs> a, so stupid, but you know, Shane didn't know any better at teaching me. It was his first year leading leaders. Yeah. So I just did what I saw Shane do. He, he didn't know any better. So both of us, like we both have led a lot better in schoolers. And I think we, that was kind of a leadership casually on our end. So the next year, you know, I, 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 made, I did something different that year and I made these list of habits for like, what, what are my morning, day and night habits? I actually got those from Groom. That helped a lot um, with recruiting. I, I changed it to like three to four warm notebooks a week and I ended up bringing four friends out that year. So, um, but my, once again, my skill level and training, I had definitely a lot of integrity lapses. I would miss trainings with them sometimes. You know, I would sign them up 
I would do our trainings on Sunday. I would go get really drunk Saturday night and not want to train them on Sunday. And we would be like, they didn't live in the same place as me. So yeah, definitely some leadership casual leadership errors there. And then sell, I would say selling my effort definitely did not match my goals. Like I was on a really good schedule. Like I, I did always do like the wake up at six and go work out. I did start doing that really consistently since my freshman year of college. So that always matched up. I did the seven step, but like the whole, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity, you got to do something new. That's not really like really the first five years in Southwestern, I never did anything that different. Besides I was on a better schedule my fourth summer and I spent more time with my seventh step. I did a little more time with what ifs. That was my best summer 4,200 units, but yeah, I, you know, 3,700, 2,800, 1,800, 4,200, 3,500 first five years. So it's like, I did pretty much the same thing, you know, Yeah. It got a little bit better at a couple of things, but yeah, I, I just really felt like I wasn't clear nor was like the really intentional effort in action. Cause you don't just wake up and just freaking magically go increase three to 4,000 units. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That yeah, no, it does. And a groom, I remember he talked about that. Cause I was, I was asking him like, cause he never like blew the roof off, but he talks about that in his episode where he's like, I just, I put the same inputs in. And so I got the same results each summer. And so I guess now thinking about it and like for people listening, because you've had some people like that have hit some bigger sales numbers in your organization and, and you have too. What do you, how do you, uh, how do you help people figure that out? Obviously like canvassing chart meeting, but like, what do you encourage they, they do differently versus just putting in the same inputs and getting the same outcomes? Yeah. So I, I do think it does depend based on their production level, right? You know, anybody who is sold under 2000 units as the first year, and I think you go up a thousand each year, right? It's like, if you're not selling at least a thousand as a first year, 2000 as a B, 3000 as a C, it's like, there's only one answer to that. It's, it's your schedule. It's attitude and effort. Right. So, you know, Christian, for example, like he, his schedule wasn't that off his first summer, he, but he did like 700 units. So all year long, we just constantly brought it back to man. If you're just on a great schedule, you're a front page first year, right? Schedule and habits. And he really did believe that. And he he went and executed it really well. So he jumped 2,000 units that next year. Um, then the next year, right? All right, he had mastered schedule down. He couldn't schedule his way to another good summer of growth. So that intentional sales talk practice, right? He knew he needed to work on high schoolers and he knew he needed to work on like fast moms and dads that were like, you know, kind of confident. So we like we, him and I both did 45 cycles before that summer 2021. And I remember we were in my living room and he almost would kind of get like kind of mad at me because I would be such a driver like in the sales <laughs> practice, right? And we did so many practice high schoolers, but man, he was pretty crisp with his advantage book presentations, you know, went out and hit PC that week too. Mm. So um, yeah, the, I think just being very clear and specific, you know, Jeremy, he had a good jump this past year. Um, you know, I, I don't really take much credit for that. I think it was more so on him. Um, I mean, same with Christian's past ones. It was definitely all him too, but you know, Jeremy really did a lot of self-diagnosing because, you know, he hit 2,800 his first year. So it was on a good schedule, but he didn't really have an, anything intentionally different his second year. Right. Yeah. He hit a little roughly the same. Um, he, he needed to figure out a lot more about like how he was motivated. He did a lot more week one day, one cycles. That was actually all of his cycles, hmm. you know? To try to get it was a, a week one first house. Yes. And when he sold in a new school district, like still being just as clear, he sold in like six or seven school districts last summer. Mm. And so and he did pretty well 
um, starting those off. So I think one thing that nobody can do for you is know thyself, right? So I think we got to encourage that for our people, right? I think Joe Ignis talked about this uh, key persons 2020, I believe. It's like so often we just go into the next year, the next recruiting year, the next selling year, and we set this big goal, but we never stop to think about, well, why did I freaking only bring two people to sales school last year? Or why did I only bring 200 units last year, right? So, yeah. and if they're a B or C contract, they don't always know that. So it's up to us as leaders to help them reflect. Yeah, I was about to ask, what sort of your process with, with encouraging that reflection? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, and we I talked about this with Alex in her, in her episode, but the, uh, but like, what is, what's, What's your process for that? Because sometimes it's easy for me and I imagine everyone else to look back on a year and be like, I did everything I could, you know, <laughs> or like, uh, so yeah, what, what's your process for like kind of getting down to that? I guess both I'm sure selling and recruiting are, are different, right? But yeah, what is your process for doing that yourself? And then also if you're doing it with a B or a C, how, how do you help them get there so that if there's a B listening, they can, they can do it themselves? Good question. So I think brutal honesty is important, right? That's what I, I had to really take an honest look in the mirror after those first four summers and be like, okay, I'm not getting what I want, right? So <laughs> I think that's the first thing is we got to be honest. And if you're having trouble with that, you got to ask somebody else for feedback. And that's your B year, C year, every single year, right? You got to be willing to ask, oh, damn, I just broke something. Frick. Um, you got to be willing to ask. <laughs> little fiddling. What? Were you fiddling with something and broke? I was. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, anyways, so you got to, yeah, I asked that honest feedback, right? And then there's a really helpful document that Ralph Brigham gave me that helped me reflect for life. You've seen it, that this is the end. Yeah. So that helps me reflect a lot in life. And, and it's good because you account your wins and your losses and shortcomings. And that really helps you see things that you don't always see. That, that helps me with life, I think, with selling you know, you got to really go back. And at, I think ideally at the end of every season, this is something Shane encouraged us to do. Like even before you go into summer selling, if you can just do a quick recap, my wins and my losses, the end of recruiting, the end of selling, the end of the fall, I think that will help a lot. Um, just as simple as, as count my wins, count my losses. And then, yeah, I think going to other people to help them do so. Like, going to other people okay who did well at whatever my losses were and then you know how do i improve mm -hmm. so i think it's pretty simple like a b c d ninth tenth year business builder anybody can do that what were my wins what were my shortcomings you know what am i going to do differently yeah yeah and you kind of hit on the one of the other things i was hoping to ask you about because you know in terms of like picking out people that you want to ask and ask and because i feel like <laughs> you are probably the most coachable and student of the game person in the whole company. Like, I, I think I'm like pretty good at it, but uh, like you make me look horrible at it. <laughs> like, I guess, like even before my first summer, I was like in the MRC watching advanced sales. Like, I think I told you I watched your acceptance speech of your credit <laughs> before my first summer. I was like, all right, yeah, that's going to be me, you know, visualize, you know, <laughs> it wasn't. But, uh, you know, took eight years later to, to get that Freddie experience, <laughs> but the, um, but like, I felt like I was always pretty good at it, but then like, as we became friends and maybe you were like this all the time in your career, maybe it's been an adapted, like, okay, I need to like seek out people, but man, you are relentless with picking people's brains at these, uh, 
events. And so like, yeah, can you talk a little bit about like, have you always been like that? Is it like, does it go back to like sports? And when you were that basketball prodigy where you were kind of like that, or, or was it something that like you developed and learned through pain of your like, okay, I need to like take a look in the mirror. But I, I'd imagine from your first summer, it sounds like you were pretty coachable to Shane from the beginning, but was there ebbs and flows with that? Or yeah. Well, how, how do you think you can encourage people to be more like you in that realm? Man, out here with the good questions. I've never had anybody ask me that. Where did it start? You know, I, I mean, I, I credit a lot to basketball. I was definitely not a prodigy, prodigy, but you know, I definitely was, you know, I was hungry at an early age, right? Like starting ninth grade after basketball, every single day after school, no, like literally every single day, I would go to 24 hour fitness, make two to 300 shots and work out. And then sometimes I'd have practice after that. So I think like being hungry to learn and get better was something that I think really helped me through sports. And then, you know, I would watch those Eric Thomas videos. I just, I, I that kind of got me into it. And I kind of hit this point my senior year of high school when I I used to be actually pretty cocky and arrogant in high school, if I'm being honest. Um, and, you know, I hit this point in senior year where I realized that basketball was no longer life. That was one of the toughest pills I ever had to swallow. And I was like, all right, there's more to life than just sports. So I need to start thinking about other things. And that's when I started to like read books. Um, so I think that really helped. And I think just like humility in general came, I think I was a very humble you know, freshman in college, you know, I like didn't join a fraternity. And I think that kind of humbled me, right? Because at CU Boulder, like if you were in a fraternity, you know, something like I had a time where I brought three girls to a party, me and two friends brought six girls to a party. They freaking jacked my girls and didn't let me in the party, like very <laughs> humbling and experienced. And I was, I definitely was not going to join a frat after that. Um, so yeah, I was, I was very humbled, like, you know, little fish, big pond. So I think I read a lot of books then, and then that first summer, you know, I'm lucky that my dad, when he met Shane, he was like, you know, your biggest thing is being very teachable and coachable. And I was like, I am teachable and coachable. He's like, yeah, but like you have that habit sometimes. So you got to really listen because if you do that, you'll do well. And I, I remember making that decision after the parent mm -hmm. visit. I was like, okay, I really got to buy in. So that that helped for mm -hmm. sure. I definitely lost that at, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that I was going to be number one until the Freddies. Like I thought I, I was number two the whole summer. So mm -hmm. I thought I was number two then, and I was so hungry that fall. I had a team member, and I remember that humility went away then. You know, I got a girlfriend right after that. I was number one. Like, I was partying with everybody at the Freddy's that night, so I definitely lost a lot of that. Um, and I had ebbs and flows of it. So I think, you know, it's a simple answer, but just being able to humble ourselves and knowing that, you know, it's being humble and hungry, actually, I think is the two things. Like, the being humble enough to know I'm not special, I don't know everything i know far from everything and i think our faith can help us with that i think that's yeah just big picture perspective or two things that help with that and then always being hungry to get better like being curious being a student of the game i think really having that desire going back to the why that i talked about earlier i think if you have those two things if you're hungry and humble then you're just like man there's somebody who does what i do better let's go talk to them mm. right that's the last thing is i i don't think i'm scared to ask questions like i just don't give a crap uh, what somebody thinks so I'll, I'll ask some questions like whenever right and you and I used to do that you know we used to freaking do that with Dylan Buck back in you know 2017 so yeah I sure. say being hungry being humble and not being not being afraid to ask those questions to people yeah definitely and I'm going back thinking about that like James Clear 
the, you know, identity precedes the action and then action creates the habit. Like, I'm curious if at some point, like if, did you just make a decision where you're like, okay, I am going to be humble and hungry and I'm just going to always, that's the type of person I am. And then you just like, ever, cause I feel like there's been times with myself where it's been ebbs and flows. Like I was really coachable my first summer and then I was really coachable my second summer. But then my third summer, I led the number one org and I was no longer coachable because I was the best leader in the company. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, got wrecked. And then I was like, and then that year after that, I was like, I was like, okay, no matter what, if any opportunity comes up, I am going to be coachable. Like, and I'm going to just like surrender. And so I like trying to be become that identity forever not just in ebbs and flows so i remember like that's why i signed up for consulting i didn't really want to but i was like if i don't i'm saying i don't need help and i so i signed up and like that's why i flew out to colorado because i had like eight people on my team at that point but shane was like hey i think you could learn something i was like okay i'm gonna buy a flight and go and it was just so i'm wondering if for you did you have a point where you like decided that that was going to be your identity. And then you just like have kind of lived into it since then. Like, was it a moment or was it just kind of, was yours less like that and more like periodically over time? I wish I could say it was less like that, but it, it definitely is. Right. It definitely was very similar. Like it started in high school being hungry, you know, had times where I was like all conference lost some of that hunger and humility partied a little bit more. Right. You know, mm-hmm. humbled in college first year, got hungry again, number one first year, kind of, so it definitely went ebbs and flows. Unfortunately, you know, I've had a couple good, I think I had a pretty strong spurt from like 2019 to 2022. And, you know, I had a lot of growth in my consistency, but I had times, man, where it's like that freaking 2020 sizzler lost some humility there. Right. Um, after that fall, bro, it like, this still eats at me sometimes after my base jumped to 50,000 and that, that next fall, we had more PSLs than ever. I like, went super, super hard. And I just, it's, I lost a little bit of it there. Right. So it just anytime you get too comfortable, man, you know, that's a sign. So I don't, I've, so I've still yet to perfect this. And I think we're all on the journey. I think it's got, it can't just be a one-time decision made. I don't think anybody it's a one, it's like constant reminder, constantly reading, constantly being hungry and humble. And whether that's surrounding yourself with your purpose, your visions, goals, always seeking mentorship. I, I just, that whole idea that we've never made it. We just all get to remind ourselves of that day in and day out. It's so funny how cyclical it is. If you, if you do go by the ebbs and flows of like success and it's like, so such cyclical actions of the people we want to be. But I'm even thinking back to like your, what's the little quote you had laminated on your computer for a long time. It might still be there, but it was like, it's not about me or something. It still is there. Yeah. It says it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. And So that's probably like a constant reminder of like, after your first summer, it was like, okay, it's about, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And uh, so now you just do a better job of keeping those things in front of you. Yeah, I would say so. And then I still get to do a little bit better at selling, right? Because, you know, my sales still hasn't been the most consistent. I think my recruiting has been more consistent. It makes sense. I always use my computer when I'm selling that note. It's all about, it's not about you Mm. has been there for four years straight now. So yeah, yeah, I think I'm tape it to your steering wheel this summer <laughs> my, yeah, my ipad something like that yeah your iPad. yeah all right another thing i i was hoping that we could dive into is uh is your discipline um and asking you because i feel like again just getting to know you like pretty well i know very few people that are as disciplined as you 
Um, and not just like during the summer, but it's like, we'll be on trips and you're like, got to do my Bible reading before bed. And I'm like, man, I wouldn't even have like thought of it. I'm out of my element, out of my habit stacking structure. And I feel like you have like some extreme discipline when it comes to things that matter to you. Um, what's kind of your mindset around that? How did that happen? How would you encourage other people to like build the importance of like having that level of discipline that you do? Cause I mean, you finished first place in that Ironman too. It's not just like, it's not one area it's, or at least for your age bracket or something like you do it well in every area of your life with discipline. So yeah. What would you say to people like me about building more discipline? Cause I feel like obviously I'm pretty disciplined, but you're, you're definitely more disciplined. Yeah, I mean, I humbly, I'm definitely not disciplined in every area of my life. Like if you see my room right now, it's not as clean as I would like it to be. If you see my garage, my closet, it could be definitely more clean, right? So like there are some areas where I'm still working at this. Um, some areas that did come a little more natural. Man, it, the first time that it ever happened, I was watching Rocky in my mom's bedroom when I was like eight years old. working out before those fights bro i would i would literally start doing push-ups in my mom's room watching the tivo bro i was like that was the first time i ever felt that feeling of like motivation to be disciplined right and um since then i've you know i i started getting it again in eighth grade i did this program called air alert for basketball it was like a 12-week vertical jump program um Yes. Yeah. So for basketball. Right. So, but the thing is, I, I, I was so inconsistent in my discipline, right. It was easy to be like consistent when you have people watching you. It's easy to be consistent when you have a workout plan to follow. It's another thing, right. When, um, you know, alcohol or drugs get involved, right. That could be some people where people struggle. That was something I had trouble with for a while. You know, it could be the opposite sex, right. Whatever it is, there's, there's going to be things that, that tempt your discipline, so I don't even know if I'm answering your question. Tips for it. Um, you got to get started, right? I think that's the first step. I'm lucky that basketball gave me that entry-level thing. You know, the story I told, you know, literally all of high school, every single day, every, like literally every day and on the weekends, I was in the gym. Like nobody made me go. I know very blessed that my mom did pick me up. Oh, I got get a ride from somebody um, so I didn't have to walk home. But yeah, man, like nobody made me do that. So, and I think I'm a little bit more blessed to have some internal motivation, but I do believe that anybody can build it because what did not come naturally to me was doing that consistently, right? Like, you know, uh, for the gym, it was a little bit easier, but like being disciplined, I noticed that in my first week, first summer, you know, I sold like 180 units and then 20 units week two, you know, um, you heard in my summer. So I think the first step is you got to get started. And in order to get started, you know, listen to earlier, right? Having a purpose, having the action steps, right? And I think an easy way is having accountability. Like, you know, I I feel like when we're on those trips and stuff, like you guys are easier accountability for me because it's like, man, I want to like help. I know they like to read the Bible too. Or I know they want to work out. So I know if I do it, like they're probably going to want to do it too. So having accountability, surrounding yourself with people makes it, makes it easier. So those are the initial things. And then, man, I think something that, um, man, I don't even know if I'm answering your original question. Like basically the question is how to become more disciplined, right? Yeah. yeah just like, I mean, I guess, yeah. For any, cause it sounds like you, and maybe you're like, obviously humbly being like, yeah, I'm not perfect at it. And obviously no one is, but you know, even from high school, it sounds like you've had, like, you've understood the value of discipline for a long time when it was basketball or something else. So just 
yeah, I was definitely not that disciplined with the sports that I played. So, so I'm just wondering if there's any mindset that you think where you think about it a little bit differently than maybe some uh, the rest of us would in terms of the value of discipline. Yeah, um, I've I, you know ever since high school, I definitely knew that that was something that was controllable, right? I did like believe that that was controllable, and then you know I remember in suicides when we were running suicides. I think it was a lot of for those people that don't know what suicides are. It's like very difficult sprints you have to do in basketball. And yeah, I, I think competition was my early foundation of that. It was like, you know, nobody's going to outrun me. Like nobody's going to get in the gym earlier than me. Nobody's going to stay longer than me. So that was like very ego driven, I would say discipline, but that did help me so a lot. So very grateful for competition because competition, I think was the early thing. And I think first summer is when I kind of didn't fully transcend it, but I did get past that kind of ego driven discipline. And it was like, internally who I want to become, you know, mm. I, I want to be that better person. And I would listen to a lot of motivational videos, right? It's like, I think that's the, another thing is what you feed your mind and brain with to become more yeah. disciplined. I started listening to that stuff when I was a sophomore in high school. Totally. So yeah, I think competition was good. And if you're not motivated by competition, it goes back to the know thyself. You got to figure out what you're motivated by. And then you can use that to drive you in discipline. If it's yeah. the person you're becoming, being the best version of yourself, if you're way motivated, right? It's like, you know, that's definitely been a lot of motivations for me. So I think just like having that mindset that it's what you can control, knowing what drives you. And I think the last thing is that I, I definitely take pride in that. You know, I think it's easier to take pride when you're good at it, it's harder to take pride when you're not as good at it. So, yeah, it is a controllable thing though. I mean, so it's like, it get, you know, you can, yeah, anyone has the ability to take pride in that, you know, whereas like results or whatever you can't, you take, can't take pride in your, you know, three point field goal percentage in games, but you can take pride in that you put in the time in the gym. Yeah. So, so I, I think to answer, I mean, that's a good way to kind of finish it off. It's like, take, just take pride in it. Right. Take, and I, and I do believe Groom talks about this without that basic foundation of discipline. Every other character that you build will never fully get built without, without that level of discipline. Now you don't have to freaking run 50 Ks in order to be more disciplined, but I think doing something to yeah. you know, stretch you in that is good. Yeah. And I'm thinking like the taken pride. It's like, uh, I remember, I feel like people talk about it less and it almost, it almost worries me a little bit for like the younger book people. But I feel like when we were our first few summers, it was like, you take pride in 80 plus hours, 200 demos. <laughs> and it was like, I feel like if you could show that at the end of the summer, it was like, you that was something that you could hold your head high regardless. And uh, I kind of, I hope we can not, lo not lose that, you know, that it's like, man, because I, I always felt like it was like, all right, Jack, regardless, if you put in, you can take pride in that you worked your tail off during the summer. Uh, regardless of what, what happens, uh, going back though, also, I wanted to touch on the motivation thing and the competition, I just, an idea I was thinking, I'd be curious your thoughts as you were saying it is I'm like, because I used to listen to Eric Thomas too. That dude's a beast. Like if you want to succeed as much as you want to breathe, you know, like, man, that stuff would fire me up and less, uh, less Brown. Oh, is he on your vision board? <laughs> yeah. Less Brown. That's my favorite one. Those Dude. two are my favorites. Les Brown, when he, when he, he tells this one story of like, you know, you're at your, you're laying on your deathbed and the ghosts of your dreams coming, you know, and I'm like, and he's got like this deep voice and 
Oh, listen to that stuff so much my first summer. And at the end of the day, like we, you know, a new hot trend in Southwestern is like motivation. It's momentum, not motivation. But I'm almost like, okay, almost like I don't even care what the source of the starting is. You know, if it's ego, if it's competition, if it's ambition, if it's money, if it's motivational speeches, like it's almost like I don't care what the generate what what is the catalyst of the momentum but like sometimes you need the catalyst of the momentum you know so it's like if you have to listen to les brown or you know you know all these people um to do it but what are your thoughts on that i 100 percent agree you know it's like you know we say motivation is an ever-moving target right it's always moving it's always changing so i don't care if like you want to look better for the opposite sex is that the mo like you know, most noble motivation? No. But is that a, is that a better than nothing? 100%. If you want to make more money, if you want to drive a Ferrari, right? Um, you know, and obviously the most noble things is like service and faith and yeah. impact and character. I agree, but, you know, it's hard to have that when you're younger. So yeah. I think, you know, mine was definitely competition when I was younger, right? And then it kind of became the better things. And obviously I feel like I am um, have some, but I still, you know, have those ego-driven motivations sometimes. So I think, by any means necessary, make it happen. You know, on that topic, my favorite quote from the book so far is people think they lack motivation, but really they lack clarity. Mm. So that kind of contradicts what I'm saying about any level motivation. But yeah, if those people that are really trying to tap in, it's like, if you're very clear on what you want and what, what you're trying to accomplish, it's hard not to be motivated. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's just like, uh, it's almost, yeah. Sometimes I think it's almost like the a lot of times old men or women, old people are the most wise, but no one, no one wants to listen to them almost. And it's almost like, it's because you have to, you have to learn it yourself. Like you were motivated by ego and your own stuff. And it's like, and that got you to be really motivated and really disciplined through basketball in your first summer. And then once you kept doing that, then it stopped working and you had to learn the lesson. But it's almost, I feel like sometimes we like, all right. And maybe I've been guilty of this where someone's like, well, I just really want this. And I'm like, that's not the right thing to be thinking about. And it's sometimes you just have to anything that builds the discipline and then you can change the aspiration after you've built the momentum and discipline. But I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Any thoughts on that before I, we jump into something else? I I think that was money. What you just said. I've never really thought about that. But, yeah, I think that's something we could be teaching people. Put that put, put put that on the outline for GLS two. <laughs> um, okay, another thing is uh, these next two are more practical, but things I feel like again that you're really good at that I wanted to touch on is uh, what I wrote down in my journal is like ask about morning routine and like different like uh, like life hacks that you're doing to like build a better life, whether it's like nutrition or like what your mornings look like or specific things in the life of JFlow that are important for you to do daily that help you feel better, help you perform better. Yeah. What, what is it? What is it? We'll start with what does your morning look like? So morning routine. Yeah. Right now, get up usually at five 30. Um, first thing I do is, and I turn off my alarm and I get up and I remind, I just say something in my head. Like if it's to be, it's up to me or, you know, like uh, thank you God for the day, just something like that to get me going, make my bed first thing. Cause I think that that's something I didn't used to do. I started doing that in 2019, like to be detailed, more detail oriented. That's something I've, I've gotten better at. Hmm. Um, get up, go to the bathroom, say a prayer to God, uh, say like my core affirmations for that year. I used to say a lot more right now. I'm just saying like my most important ones. 
you know, go get some, uh, a little bit of carbs and protein in, go work out. And, and carbs and protein. What, what are you talking? Yeah. About? Get a good workout. Like, um, I'll either do like, a no, not that much. My favorite combo is a banana with, uh, powdered peanut butter but the powdered peanut butter you mix it up that's like eight to ten grams of protein and then like a good 25 grams of carbs is usually what i like but i'm I'm still perfecting that but yeah definitely gotta eat something before the gym um i've definitely found like there's uh things called keystone habits like there's things if you can start your day with this then that's going to help you make better decisions i've just definitely found exercises that for me like i know if i don't work out that day i don't make is good at decisions if i do work out that day my energy is better like yeah so that's a must for me in the morning something that i really started developing the last four or five years is listening to audiobooks after i work out i don't like to do it while i work out personally because i love music so that makes me feel good like helps me get zoned in listening to music getting a good pump or running whatever and then yeah listening to audiobooks because that really helps me calm my mind down like you know, listening to that while well, I do a lot of foam rolling and stretching. That's another thing I think I do well is like, I I've gotten better at taking care of my body, getting hit by the car and playing a lot of basketball. Like did teach me about that, you know? So yeah. Um, so I've already, and then I've been incrementing the implementing this year, reading this uh, app called glorify uh, Debbie put me on. It's pretty good. And it's just like, it's got a passage. Uh, I think I told you about it. I told yeah, you about yeah, it the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So reading the Bible. So by 8 a.m., I've done all that stuff, right? And then by 9 a.m., I've gotten my good breakfast in, sent some texts out that day, and I'm you know I'm ready to work. So just guarding that morning is always crucial to me. And even on Saturdays and Sundays, I do I do it a little bit differently. But you know I go for the long run on Saturdays, Sunday it's church. Like my first three hours of my day, I try to not touch any work. Like that is my time. Um, yeah, that's something I've been getting better at. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And then a um, couple follow-up questions. So breakfast in the morning, is that like protein heavy or is it like how many, how many calories are you knocking down at breakfast? Yes. Good question. I used to just try to get in protein, but I've definitely found, you know, luckily to my trainer, shout out Seth Hood, shout out to his coaching program. If you're trying to get good quality and value, I would go through him. There's other good ones out there too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, you need carbs. You need carbs after you work out. Like like the two of the most crucial times to eat a lot of carbs is before you work out and after. And I didn't really realize that, but that's your energy source, right? So carbs are important. So yeah, you know, whether it's like, I definitely try to get in like three eggs, some meat, some veggies. And I really like Dave's killer bread, like two slices of that. Cause it's got some protein and good, good quality carbs. I've been really on the oatmeal lately. So I like to get some protein, like Big thing, oatmeal, put some of that powdered peanut butter in there and some blueberries, that smacks. So I definitely like to eat a big, big breakfast, especially after I work out. So my goal is to like, by the time it hits like 9, 9.30, you know, I'm trying to be at like 80 grams of protein, maybe a little bit more between my shake, that pre-thing and my breakfast, you know, be at like close to that many carbs as well, ideally more. And then got to have a coffee after that, you know, because I, <laughs> I if I eat all if I eat all that, wake up at five thirty. I'm definitely like I would, I would, I would like some coffee after that. <laughs> yeah, nice. Okay, and then and then your workday starts, and I'm sure not starting the day with work lets your mind like you know rest and be like have a life and feel you know like you're not only thinking about work. So then your day starts at nine. 
I'm sure you're doing meetings and stuff. Is there anything else during the day that you try to implement in your schedule that you feel like helps keep your mind in the right spot or helps you be more productive or feel better? Yes. On the way to my first meetings, I either call loved ones like mom, dad, grandma, text my brothers, right? Text Debbie or um, listen to a book or listen to the Bible or something involving the Bible, right? So always something that like makes me feel good, helps me grow. That's what I really started to implement my first year full-time in 2019. Back then the schedule was more hardcore. And I, so often I hear people get kind of consumed by Southwestern and it's just like, you know, for all those people that feel that way, I don't empathize with you. I'm sorry. Um, it's up to you, right? So it's like, I, obviously I'm a little bit more like quote unquote disciplined than the average person, but man, if you do things at the beginning and end of your day that make you feel you, right? Make you feel good about you, then it's hard not to do that. So by 9, 930, I've done all these things for my pillars that I feel really good about. Yeah, right. I mean, woke up early, worked out, read, read the Bible, um, you know, called loved ones, and then you start your day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. And then- The only last thing I do is I, I try to just do positive Last thing is just like in throughout the day, positive self-talk before meetings, right? Yeah. Um, even before on this meeting, I was like, yeah, man, this is going to be dope. Um, before, you know, every every notebook and I, because so often, man, I don't feel like doing a day two interview or a notebook or info session. And I just remind myself, hey, man, it's not about me. Like it's it's the person in front of me. You know, I perform whether I feel like it or not. Just like reminding, reminding myself those those key things. Fire me up. Um, all right. What And then night, night routine, anything you do that you think helps set you up for the next day, like at night? Yeah. Something Shane said, a great morning routine uh, starts with a good night routine. So I think I, something I do better than most people is getting to bed at a good hour. Man, man have I freaking slacked this semester. Unfortunately, gotta love having a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously my decision. It's my decision to stay up later, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I'm usually pretty good at that. And then, you know, I always end my day, like I don't touch work again a little bit late. Like I've actually been pushing that back. I used to stop work at nine, nine thirty. I, you know, that's up for debate, but I, you know, try to stop touching work. Definitely I'm off the screens, right? By nine, nine thirty at the latest. Like I don't spend too much time on social media. Um, now I will read while I do my night routine. I mean, I'll listen to audiobook while I do like, you know, bathroom routine, a journal, just kind of reflection on wins, what I want to improve, and then read the Bible, say prayers, go to bed. So nothing like too crazy for night routine, but. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to say like, yeah, not too crazy, but I think even just not doing the social media and screens and audio book and journal instead is like, would be a massive improvement for almost everyone. Um, All right. Last thing, kind of a quick, quick round I wanted to ask you about. So book, I feel like you always have good, good books you're reading. So what books have you read this year? And then I know you're reading Atomic Habits right now. You were trying to put me on a GRS at like, or GLS for a 10X is easier than 2X or something. Anything else you've read in that time that's worth mentioning on here? Yes. Yeah. 10X easier than 2X. So th those authors have, they, they've been writing just a ton of books. It's a psych guy who got his doctorate in organizational psychology. Um, that dude's name is Benjamin Hardy. And then he picks the brain of this guy who owns this business called strategic coach, Dan Sullivan. And he's been just, he specializes in coaching early entrepreneurs. And those guys just have a ton of great books. 10 X is easier than two X. The first one I read by them was that who, not how I know you like that one. Oh, that's the same authors. 
Yeah, same guys, same guys. And bro, they also have another one called The Gap and The Gain. That's been helping me a lot with coaching people. That one is money. Um, I think that's the only ones I've read by them. Um, Four-Hour Workweek is also pretty solid. I'm sure you read that one. Atomic Habits. Man, the freaking classic. I've, I'm like fifth time I'm reading it. I'm rereading it now is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's like every most people have read the book, but how often do we apply, put first things first, begin with the end in mind, think win-win, right? Seek to understand before being understood, sharpen your thoughts. Like those habits are so, so crucial. How often do you reread books? Because you're, I think you'd already read Atomic Habits and then you're rereading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah, um, pretty often. <laughs> Honestly, like any book that's good, I've read it like four times, I would say. Interesting. Um, John Maxwell, I just listened to his um he was doing a public speaking thing we listened to him last weekend he said he reads a book twice the first time he reads it he goes and marks it and and then he says the second time he goes and just reads through every single thing he marked mm. so he this is funny this is kind of cheesy but i'll say it for the listeners he's like yeah the first round i read the i mark the book the second time the book marks me <laughs> <laughs> and then i guess that's a good uh final thing i wanted to ask you is uh about how do you, I feel like you do a really good job of implementing the stuff that you read or trying to, is there, do you have a way that you go about that? Like, cause I know for me, like an audiobook, I'm sitting in the car and I'm like, man, that's really good. And I've tried to like jot down quotes and I've try, tried to like, uh, but I feel like my, and maybe this is a, a self-limiting belief, but my mind just moves so fast from one thing to another. I'm like, man, that's really good. And then I'll show up to my meeting and then I won't think about that thing maybe ever again. So like, how do you, how do you implement or actually like, yeah, resonate with the stuff that you read? Really good question. This is something I definitely see people do is like, so often I see people reading, you know, a book a week. It's like, to me, I don't really care how many books you read. It's what you, what you do with what you know, right? That's what really matters. So I, I kind of saw that at an earlier age and was like, yeah, I don't want to be like that. And I credit a lot of stuff to Shane, man. Talk about student of the game. That mother trucker was so hungry, <laughs> man. So hungry. I was freaking using his Audible for a while. I just bought my first, bought, finally bought my own Audible account this past fall. Cause I was like, <laughs> all right, time for me to start doing it. And it's free with Amex Platinum, another plug. <laughs> But so, yeah, what do I do? At first, I, I'm okay with reading the books slower, right? I'm, I'm not looking for like quantity of books. It's more about quality. That's the first thing. I think reading at, if it's audiobooks, right, don't always listen to it while you're busy, like driving, because it's hard to write things down. You know, when I listen to it in the morning, when I'm like doing that foam rolling, when I catch something good, I pause it. I'll go back, make sure I write down the full quote. And I really take a second to internalize that, right? Mm. Um, so that I think that's really important. I have a huge running list of each book, all the things that I like about it. On your phone or where do you, what's your system to track that? Because like, I, again, I've tried this where I'm like, I'll write the book and then I'll try to put notes for each chapter or like write a synopsis. Oh, yeah, yeah, so this is good. Every, every year I have this. So I have this for every single year. Like what I'm reading What's chapter? What are the big things? Action steps for the book. Yeah. So for those that are just listening, he just pulled up notes, which it looks like you're sharing the screen on your phone. Um, and it's got like the title of the book underlined, bolded, and then just, yeah, either chapters or random quotes or different things from the book that stuck out to you. Is that essentially how you do it? It's just like something sticks out and you put it in there. 
yeah. on my phone. It's also, you know, the notes on my laptop. It can go either one. The yeah. last thing is it, it says this in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says the best way to learn from this book is share what you learn with somebody else because mm -hmm. the teacher learns more than the student. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I love books like in my PCs, my stat calls, when I'm talking to people, a lot of times yeah. I'm just coaching what I, what I just kind of got to And that's why I always share books with you, right? Cause I want to pass the knowledge, but it does also help me retain it. That was yeah. something Shane did well. He, he talked a little much for my taste, but uh, a lot <laughs> of times he was talking about <laughs> books for that he, things that he learned. It's so, so good, man. I feel like I've learned a lot today. This was fun. I know you're a man of schedule, so I promise I actually you have some time. You believe me, I'm getting better. I'm getting better at not like being so rigid. Like I have, I have a couple minutes if there's other things, but yeah, that's, that's some, I was almost rigid to a fault in the past. I have gotten better at like, you know, you don't have to schedule back every hour with every single thing. I was know? a little scared. I was like, uh Oh, clock at one fifteen. need to close it out. <laughs> um, the only thing in closing, because the, the other stuff I want to ask you about, we'll have to do another episode or something because we didn't even get into any of like the emotional journey of Jacob's Southwestern experience, which I think people would find pretty impactful. And you've shared from stage, but I'm sure a long form conversation about some of your, uh, resistance to being at Southwestern <laughs> and then now your uh, journey. I think that that would be really helpful to hear, but we don't have time for that. So I guess in closing, uh, cause it, I got to hop on a flight here, but we can always do a part two. What, uh, any, anything you want to share? If, if there were a hundred or 200 or a thousand book kids going to listen to the next sentence, what would you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I guess this is kind of like a preview of those people that, you know, have heard my story that haven't, right? Uh, you can go on the MRC. I share it like three or four different times. And I, I actually went back and listened to it because I realized there's so many different pieces. I need to put it all together. And hopefully one day I'll, I'll put it all together. But you cannot beat somebody that doesn't give up. Mm. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. If you don't stop, eventually things will work out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, except for drugs. <laughs> yeah, those, those, I, I recommend stopping that. But if we're talking anything, running, lifting, selling, recruiting, gambling specifically, you know, people just mess up because they stop, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they give up right before they're about to hit that 13 leg parlay. I'm serious, man. That that's that's the truth. So yeah, that's I think if there's anything that I've done well in my career, right? I've, there's a lot of things I've messed up, but like, you know, I just I just refuse to give up. And even though it took a little bit of teeth pulling those first couple of years, um, I think yeah resilience persistence is a tough thing tough thing to stop literally unstoppable unless you kill the person come on what a good message and then you're talking about wanting to uh wanting to put that somewhere you should you should figure out or like put it all in one spot you should uh spend some time thinking through that and maybe in the fall we'll go through a a deep dive a conversation of your journey and lessons learned and the hardships and some of the tears and crying in the coffee shops with Shane and all that happened, but we'll get to it, man. This was awesome. I had a ton of fun. Thanks for having me, Jack. You're doing a great thing. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Thanks brother. All right.